The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. We are beginning a, a, uh, to look at a passage of Scripture that's typically called the Book of Emmanuel. That is, Emmanuel is one of the names, the primary name of, of the Messiah. He is God with us. And this is the story of how he came if he was announced in Isaiah chapter 7 through 12. And it's called, typically, the, the Book of Emmanuel. Or, and, but what we learn in here is how to fear the Lord and believe his word. This is one of the things that, that one of the greatest uh, things in the scriptures that talks about what we ought to be as followers of Christ is we ought to be people who trust him. And uh, we, we did a Bible study in our house fellowship called uh, Five Things God Uses to Build Our Faith. And the reasoning was because faith or trust, if you prefer, is the necessity for the believer. That's This is how we are to live. We're to live in faith towards God, and we gain faith, we grow in our faith, our understanding of truth through the Word of God. And what you have here, and I, we're going to look at Isaiah 8, which is one chapter into this book of Emmanuel, but it's because it, it's where it really starts well. God's words to King Ahaz, and that's what he's speaking to in this context, is, if you will not believe, you surely shall not last. I used to be able to know, to know how to say that in, in uh, Hebrew, but I've forgotten. Uh, if you will not believe, you surely will not last. And the context is, is that Ahaz is terrified at the threat of his enemies. His enemies are named Pekah and Rezin, and Re are Reason, and he is fanatically, frantically rather, searching for a deliverer because they are very powerful people. And God's response is, get this, God's response to him was, let me give you a sign. The sign is, behold, a pregnant virgin. And uh, and you can imagine, would that convince you to stop looking for a deliverer and simply wait on God? Ahaz was needing a sanctuary, a place of protection, and God had become a stumbling block to him instead of a sanctuary. And we have, all, most of us have experienced that kind of thing. We've been in a place like that in our life where there were huge threats facing us, and God seems to be more like a stumbling block, and that keeps you from getting the help that you need instead of a, of a sanctuary where you can find real protection. And it can be really confusing to us. Um, Ahaz suffered total defeat because his heart was dominated by fear and directed by foolishness. How can we avoid that same fate in threatening times? The answers are in our in today's text, which is Isaiah chapter 8. This is one of the first chapters in this book of Emmanuel. It's actually the second chapter, but it's one that clearly introduces the subject. Uh, this this king was not, he just refused to trust. And the reason he was refusing to trust God and God's promises in the word was because he found someone else to trust. And that other person was the king of Assyria. The king of Assyria was the most powerful man on the face of the earth. And he talked to the king of Assyria and he was willing to be a protector of uh, Ahaz and Israel. And, um, or Judah rather. And he was going to protect them in, in these, these threats that was coming against them. They were going to overthrow the government and take over Judah and, uh, Syria. 
So what you have here in the first four verses is God openly mocking the fear and foolishness of unbelief. It is foolish not to believe and trust God and to look elsewhere for your deliverer. The major characters of this conversation is Ahaz, the king of misplaced faith, is what he's called typically. He isn't trusting the right thing. He's trusting a king of Assyria who's a mighty king, and yet he is not He's not the word of God. He is not God. And so instead of trusting God and his word, he begins to trust. He ends up putting his trust completely in, in this king of Assyria, whose name was Tiglath-Pileser. He was called Pul by most people, and uh, he was a, a mighty king, very powerful man, the, probably the strongest man in all the world. And then Pekah, who was a king of Israel, and Rezin, who was a king of Syria, they were in conspiracy to overthrow Ahaz, Ahaz and get him out of, out of office. And so he thought that if he could get this king of Assyria to protect him, his problem would be solved. So a struggle's going on. Ahaz is involved, but he's determined not to trust God. In what sense is he not going to trust God? Well, it's because he's trusted someone else, and that is Tiglath-Pileser, this king, the, the mightiest king on the face of the earth at this, prop, this particular time, because he didn't want to trust God and God's word. He didn't want to count it to be true. And so God gives him a, a, a sign through the prophet. Now, the prophets did something kind of unusual. They, they had their own bulletin boards. They put up bulletin boards in, in front of their house, and they would give uh, little summaries of their prophecies. It's kind of like I remember back in the 60s, there was a campaign, an advertising campaign to introduce Suzuki motorcycles. And what the sign said, it was these big signs, and all there was was these words. Uh, uh, and on the words, it was Suzuki, Suzuki are coming. Now, people didn't even know what Suzuki was or were, and they were actually motorcycles. And so on this sign, we saw it over and over and over again, everywhere you drove, Suzuki are coming. Well, they did finally come, and the whole point of that that advertising campaign was like what these prophets did, is they put upon their placard what their latest prophecy was so people could see. Now, in, in, in chapter Five or in verses five through ten, God identifies what the real threat is. That is, uh, Ahaz is having real problem facing the facing the threat to his rule in his kingdom, and God finally does reveal the real threat. It's in verses five through ten, and the threat is this: the threat is God. God is the most powerful person in all the universe, and it's God that we should fear because He is the only one who could overthrow. Any group, any power, any kingdom, because he is the almighty God. And so what, uh, what he does is he gives this illustration uh, because the Judeans rejoiced when Assyrians defeated Israel and Syria, that they thought this was going to be a takeover of Israel by, uh, by the other nations. But what, what, what the prophet said was he compares God to the Euphrates River compared to what it's called the, the small stream of Jerusalem, which was a source pool, which was a source of a pool called the Pool of Siloam. And you hear about that sometimes in the Gospels when you read it. Siloam comes from a word that means to send, and, he's, and Jesus Christ is the sent one. So it's really the pool of the sent one. And one time when Jesus met a man who was born blind, he had been blind from birth, and his disciples said, 
Who caused this sin? Who caused this, this, this problem? Was it the sin of his parents or his sins? And Jesus said, neither one. It's for the, it's for the, to reveal the power of, and glory of God. And so he told him, he healed him, and he took some, uh, made some clay and put it on his eyes, and he told him to go wash his eyes at the pool of Siloam, which is the pool of the sent one, that is, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this was just a little seasonal uh, stream of water that wasn't a mighty river. It was just a little stream of water. There were three of them, and they were the source of the water for the city of Jerusalem. They hadn't planned well, we would say, but the fact is God planned well because he supplied these little streams. They were little, small little streams, and he compares them, the, the pool, the, uh, these little streams with the Euphrates River, and he says this is how it is with Ahaz. He's looking at this great power, the king of, of Assyria, like we would look at Euphrates in comparison, the Euphrates River in comparison to these little bitty streams. The Euphrates was a great river. It was the kind of river that you would build power uh, plants upon. It was huge, and there was the water was very large and powerful. So this is a perfect picture of God's message inside of the world. Ahaz says, we need help. And God responds with a sign. I get this. The sign, he says, is, behold a pregnant virgin. Virgin. Behold a pregnant virgin. Virgin Virgin is the what he says should assure you that I will protect you. Because he's telling him, you don't need Assyria. You need to trust me. I am your protector. And so he's comparing his, he doesn't look impressive to them. He's like the, the gentle flowing waters of Shiloh, the gentle redemptive message of the Lord God of Israel. Imagine what you hear when you hear the message of redemption. That, that Jesus died for our sins. That sounds like defeat, doesn't it? It doesn't sound like something wonderful that should fill our hearts with confidence, but that's exactly what it's meant to do. And so this, it, this weak and foolish thing, like a weak little stream, is a picture of the comparison of this, these, these streams of Shiloh and the mighty Euphrates River. And so, what Paul says in Romans 1.16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It seems like it's something so small and insignificant that Jesus died and was raised again. And he says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. So there's a great contrast between the gentle flowing streams of Shiloh. They move very slowly, and they had to depend completely upon God's uh, ordering of things for the, to provide for them what they needed. And God's message was, since you refused these gently flowing waters of, of the sent one, I'll give you what you want, the mighty waters of Euphrates. Assyria you want? Well, Assyria you'll get. And so this is, it's kind of like when the, in the wilderness journey, when they went out in the wilderness and there was no food and God says, I'll give you food. And he gave him manna. I still remember there was a, um, a man who wrote a little song called, it was about manna. It was about how God gave them the most unlikely thing. And he said, I can just imagine them trying to figure out what to do with this manna. How should we prepare it? And I can still remember him saying, I bet they had manana nut bread. <laughs> because what would you do with manna, a little flake on the ground? You know, this is the way that God fed them. And he says, well, you'll get, you want the mighty Euphrates, that's what you're going to get. Uh, it's going to be up to your neck. Chastisement comes. When chastisement comes upon us, it's because God is fulfilling his promises to us. We misplace our faith. We are trusting the wrong thing. And so God shows us that the very thing we're trusting becomes his 
means of disciplining us, that we can't trust this. This is not what will save us. It's God and God alone. And so he says here in chapter 8, verse 8, he says, oh, oh, Emmanuel. In other words, he's making these aspirations to, to the, the, the coming Christ. And he's telling him, we know that even though it looks like it isn't mighty, that it is, that you will provide exactly what is needed. So in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 8, what God does, he, he taunts Israel. Uh, he, uh, he, he taunts them over the fact that they won't trust, that Ahaz will not trust God. And notice what it says. Verse 9 says, Be broken, O peoples, and be shattered, and give ear, all remote places of the earth. Gird yourselves. In other words, get ready for war, and yet be shattered. Gird yourselves, yet be shattered. Devise a plan. Go ahead and decide how you're going to win this war. But it will be thwarted for a state of proposal, but it will not stand. For God is with us. God is the one who is the deliverer. It isn't man. It's not the king of uh, Assyria or anybody else. It is God himself. And so Ahaz's heart was dominated by fear, and it was directed by foolishness because he was believing a lie that someone like the king of Assyria could could defeat who he sees as his enemy, which is the God of Israel. Now he suffers the consequences. The very thing his foolish heart trusted in becomes an instrument of chastisement in the hands of God. He's going to suffer at the hands of the king of Assyria who's going to come into the land and devastate it. And he thought he was going to come into the land and, and save him and deliver him from this threat. And what's going to happen instead, he's going to be completely squashed by this. He wasn't a not he was not a non-religious person. He was a very religious person. He was an activist, but his trust is in a substitute savior. He's not trusting God. He's trusting the king of Assyria. And he found the promises of God to be foolish and the promise of his substitute savior to be motivating. And that is his own substitute savior, which was the king of Assyria. And so this is who he goes after. Now, these words on the of, of faith on the lips of Isaiah has been... Of, he has seen that the Lord is high and lifted up, and he wants to communicate this to Ahaz for him to understand that the God of Israel is high and lifted up, and there is no one who can defeat him, for God is with us. And then in verses 11 through 22 of, of chapter 8 of Isaiah, 20, of Isaiah 8, we, God reveals the cure for fear and folly. Because we all have it. We all go through these things where we can't understand what is God doing. I had a man ask me one time, he was going through a very difficult time, and he said, why is God allowing this? And uh, I said, I didn't know. But then I, then I realized what the Bible says, God allows this because this is what he uses to refine our faith. It's what he uses to show us that we have misplaced faith, and then he uses it to, to refine our faith so that our faith becomes pure. Our faith becomes powerful. Two things that you have to do if you're going to stand on God's word when it goes against popular opinion. If, you're, if your heart is dominated by fear, you must learn to fear the Lord more. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, we are told in the book of Proverbs. It, it, it will bring a man to a snare if he, if he is filled with fear, but the fear of the Lord will build him up. And this is what, this is what the, the prophet Isaiah is trying to tell Ahaz, who, this mighty king of Israel, who is failing miserably because he is fearing the, the threat of, of the king of Assyria, and therefore he puts his trust in him, he says, and he basically pays him off. You, you deliver us. 
Isaiah had proclaimed God's will concerning not relying upon Assyria. The people's response were, guess, get this, when he preached to the people and told them they should not put their trust in the king of Assyria, they said, it's a conspiracy. It's a conspiracy. He just wants to destroy us. He wants us to deny, to, to refuse the help of the king of Assyria and we'll be destroyed. So actually the people were conspiring against God, but they did, couldn't see that. They could only see that Isaiah was conspiring against them because he was convincing the king Ahaz not to trust in the king of Assyria because he was an enemy of God. And so this is what all the prophets faced at different times. Isaiah, Jeremiah, the other prophets, they understood that their national policy had to be dependence upon God, not on foreign powers. They weren't to turn to foreign powers. They were to turn to God alone. And uh, so treason is is uh, when you trust something other than God to do what only God can do. The Bible says that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And what he means by that is we have to come to the place where we fear the Lord, where we understand he is more powerful than any enemy we will ever face, and it is him and him alone that we can turn to and rest our trust in. And this is what he, what Ahaz did not understand. If we do it God's way, we'll be ruined, they said. That's what they thought. But what the prophets were telling them, if you don't do it God's way, you will be ruined. Throughout history, the history of Israel and the history of the church, those who sought to call people, God's people back to their God-given mission and away from man-made programs have been treated like troublemakers. They're trying to hurt the people of God. It's, uh, and, and Ahaz didn't understand what motivated Isaiah's actions, so he thought he was in service to their enemy instead of being in service to their, his own people. Actually, he was doing the nation a favor. God says, don't be intimidated by them. Don't buy into their twisted thinking, but fear the Lord. And uh, this is what we're supposed to do. Sanctify Yahweh Sabaoth. And what that means is uh, Yahweh Sabaoth means Lord of heaven's armies. He's the most mighty of all. There is no one who can stand against God and win. God is omnipotent. He's the only one that we should fear. That's what Matthew 10, 28 says. God is the one we should fear because he's, and we have to come to this place where we see him as more mighty than any other thing or force or person. God alone is the one who that we can trust. We have to fear, and he's the sole object of our fear in the sense that we understand that anything less than him cannot cannot do us in because we have him on our side. So when you sanctify him as your only fear and dread, he will also become your sanctuary. See, this is what this was what uh, Ahaz was looking for. He was looking for a sanctuary. And the sanctuary was a place of safety, a place I could go to and be safe from the enemy. In ancient times, altars were sometimes recognized as this place of asylum. A person could go there and to a, a to a place like that and uh, to hide and to be protected. If your heart is directed by folly, then learn to believe his word. That's what he tells us in verses 16 through 22. Let me just read this section to you. Uh, Isaiah says, bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples, and I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will even look eagerly for him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and wonders in Israel. He had two sons and he named 
them. God named them in order for them to be assigned to the people that God is faithful in what he has said. The first one was, was named Meher Shalal Hashbaz, which means swift is the spoil and speedy is the prey. And he's, and what he is saying is that God is going to save this son whose life is going to be in great danger and God is going to save him. But imagine, uh, his mother going out in the evening to call her son home and she yells out, Meher Shalal Hashbaz. And the people hear that. Swift is the spoil and speedy is the prey. In other words, it's only going to happen for a short time and God is going to deliver his people. Uh, he is, he is our sanctuary. If your heart is directed by folly, then learn to believe his word. That's what Paul is saying here in, in verses 16 through 22. We have to learn to believe God's word above every other claim that comes along. And so the final answer is the word of God. Beware of any wisdom experience that's not wedded to the word of God. And and it isn't hard for you to find. there In the, in the book of Colossians, Paul prays for these young converts that, that he's gotten news that they come to faith in Christ. And he says, ever since, I, ever since I heard that, I have not stopped to pray that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And what that phrase means is that you will not only hear the word of God, you not only hear the message of the word of God, but you will see how it fits together and how it fits into your life and what the implications for your living really is. And that's the key to peace and joy as believing God and believe and applying his word to our experience for example as parents i'm a parent i have children you raise as parents raise children they want their children to turn out a certain way but we need to clarify what we see as the win in raising children we should see it as to uh, to raise children whose hearts are dominated by the fear of the lord and directed by the word of god they know how to apply the word of god to their life remember you can only influence your children to become what you are you can't you can't show them how to become what somebody else is and so it, we have to live as an example to them and that example is we should be those who are trusting in the word of god we believe the word of god and this is what paul says in that prayer he says i pray this so that you might walk in a manner worthy of the lord to please him in all respects this is what we want to see in our children we want to see them learn how to take in his word and to walk according to his word apply it to their experience of life and so this is what this is what he's trying to tell ahaz who is turning to a foreign power to protect him from his enemies rather than turning to god the god of israel but he will turn to God eventually because there will be no other way that he can, no other place for him to turn. And so what we are supposed to do is we're supposed to sanctify the, the, this mighty God, this God of the heaven's armies, this God who has all power and authority, who can deliver us. We are to fear him above all other things. The fear of the Lord doesn't mean we walk around afraid of what God might do to us next. It means that we see him as the, the greatest power of all. It's he is the one that we can put our trust in and and hide ourselves in. If we trust him, he will be our sanctuary. That's the promise. When you sanctify him as your only fear and dread, he will also become your sanctuary, we're told in this text. So we can hide in him. We can rest assured of his protection. He... I read a statement the other day. Uh, it was a, just a statement in a book. I was going along and there was a little illustration in a statement. It said, Christ is all the righteousness you need. 
And that's the truth. Christ is all the righteousness you need. There, you will never need more righteousness than Christ provides for you simply through faith. And so by faith, we trust in him, and he supplies us with the righteousness we need to be right with God. And so he is the one that we trust, and he's the one we fear. We don't fear him in the sense we're afraid of him. We fear him in the sense that we cast out all of the the, the kind of fear that would keep us from him. We come to him. We flee to him. We rest in him. He is our sanctuary, and we can rest our hope and our trust in him. As we go through this book of Emmanuel, I hope that the Lord speaks to your heart about this reality. We're going through a difficult time right now, this pandemic, and it would be so easy for us to turn to other people who tell us they can solve our problem. We can go to court. We can sue. We can do this. We can do that. I have a sister who's been in the hospital with the COVID-19 and that virus, and uh, when she wrote me, she was released a couple of days ago, and she wrote me a note and and, uh, told me how that God had uh, had been so present with her as she was going through this, and she knew that he was the one who was overseeing this. He was her sanctuary. He was the one to whom she fled to find rest and to find a sense of safety that God is going to deliver me. And so this is how we ought to be, and this is how we ought to be encouraging each other as we go through this time when things are so different than we have been used to, and we need to learn to trust the one true and living God. He is the one we should fear. He's the one we should turn to. And he is the one, if we do fear him, he will become our sanctuary and we can flee to him. That is our great, great uh, privilege. We can flee to the only one who can save us. So let's pray. Our, Our Father, we thank you so much for the grace with which you have treated us. You have implanted us in grace in all of your dealings with us are by grace. They're not earned. We don't deserve them, but we receive them gladly. And we thank you for your glorious grace in our lives, that you bless us richly just because you want to and because we are your people and we want to trust you. Please grow our faith, we pray. We pray that you would cause our faith to grow and deepen and our trust in you would be bigger than our trust, our fear of anything else, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. To this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.